Hi, my name is David Orlovsky, and welcome to, once again, the David Orlovsky Show. Brought to you each week through the magic of technology, which allows me to come into wherever you are. And uh, not saying that then we're able to watch you through your smart device, but who knows? And it's amazing where these things go. I just got an email from someone in South America who says he really can't get to Torah Shiurim and he listens to this. I'm so sorry for you. But if this is what you got, well, then let's make the best of it. That's it. And uh, um, uh, this is a little out of, I have to, we're a little out of order here. This is episode 11 and it's going to be Parshas Vayechi, but we're recording a little earlier. But I'm going to be this Shabbos in the Aguda of Madison by Rabbi Reisman. And I remember Rabbi Reisman, uh, he had a fellow who had not yet converted, who was coming to his Navishir. So he says, why are you coming to the Navishir? You know, so he says, well, because I haven't converted yet, and I'm only allowed to learn Torah Bechsav. So he says, but we also talk about other things, Torah Shabbat He says, that's your problem. That's not my problem. So um, if you're looking at this because you want a really intense half an hour of Torah content, oh, you got to go checking and Torah any time for a bunch of other people who have a lot more content than I do, but mine is for sure more fun. And whether you're watching on TorahAnytime.com or YouTube or iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts, we're happy to have you if you are listening, if you are watching. So uh, however you happen to be seeing this and enjoying this, uh, thank you for listening, thank you for watching, and thank you for the tremendous support that you have shown um, for this program. There's a rhythm. I have always felt the safe voracious. We start, Parshas Noyach, Leich Lecha, Voracious. All of those first parashios are really at the beginning of the autumn. We finished with all the Yom Narayim, we finished with Sukkot, we finished with Simchas Torah, we finished with all of our celebrations, and uh, now it's autumn. And, and when I see those first parashios, I always feel it's autumnal. You can sort of feel it. And uh, we start to move slowly from the autumn into Hanukkah, into the beginning of the winter, that, that whole process begins. And uh, by the time we reach Bereshis, right, the end of Sefer Bereshis, Parshas Vayechi, it's coming to an end. And we know that Sefer Shmos is already the winter. And the fact that those Parshios come out in the winter is because it's when it's cold and when it's dark, that's gullus. That's what we do. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a feeling, there's a feeling that that uh, we're moving into it, and Sefer Bereshis, like I say, it has a certain rhythm to it. When it comes to Bayechi, you know, we're at the end of this. And for the benefit of those of you who are listening in the Southern Hemisphere, just turn everything upside down, what I just said, because it probably gets more and more hot into the winter and <laughs> into the summer, and the days get longer. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I did speak in Australia some years ago. Um, took me 20 hours to get there from Eretz I remember I started off by saying, you know, there's an old story about a Rav 
who used to give a drusha every Shabbos morning, 15 minutes, and one week he gets up and he gives it for a half an hour. And everybody was surprised. So I said, Rav, what happened? He goes, what do you mean? You spoke for a half an hour. He goes, I did. I didn't realize. And he says, because I always prepare my drusha on the way to shul. I used to live 15 minutes away, and I moved. Now I'm a half an hour away, so I must have had more time to prepare. So I began by saying it took me 20 hours to get here. I have been preparing this drusha for the past 20 hours. I hope you have no place to go. <laughs> In any event, that's the rhythm. And now we finish with Sefer Bereshis. And the theme of Sefer Bereshis is clearly the end. The end. Maisa of a similar bonum. I mean, in Sefer Bereshis, everything that you want is in Sefer Bereshis, or as Rabbi Ari Khan coined the phrase, I assume it's his phrase, but he, he, was, he was very good at a turn of a phrase. He says, Jewish history is Jewish destiny. I like that one. Yeah, it means that if we look over the history, we look through Sefer Bereshis, you can find what's going to happen in the end. And in the end, Yaakov Avinu dies and is brought to Israel to be buried. Yosef HaTzadik dies and is buried in Mitzrayim. And you turn to the Haftarah and we hear about the death of David HaMelech. And so you're finding a theme here in Vayechi. There's a, there's a, certain, there's a certain point wherein uh, uh, these things are coming to an end. The Ramban says, where is the Maisa of a similar Bonim of Mashiach? And he says, because... When Yaakov Avinu returns to Eretzel, he's dead. And that's what's going to be Bimos Mashiach. Klai Yisrael is going to be dead. So uh, I think we're just about there. Now the Vildegayan says, and the famous Gemara and Gittin, where it says that Titus stuck his sword into the parochas and blood came out. So why was he zoicha to that nais? to be able to see such a thing. He said, I killed God, you know? The answer is because the miracle was for us, says the Gra, to teach us that we died. We died. And over the past 2,000 years, our body has been rotting away until there's nothing left but dry bones. So when Mashiach comes, it's going to be a resurrection. It's going to be a tchias, a mesim. We're going to have to come back to life. Uh, pretty dramatic insight. Um, the reason this is particularly poignant for me is because I would like to share a personal experience that's also a public experience. Sometimes they... They coalesce. Um, I want to note the passing of Rabbi Moshe Gadesman, who was the dean of the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County for many years. Now, so that you appreciate this and put this into perspective, yeah. when Rabbi Moshe Shapiro Zatzal was nifter, um, there, were, there were gatherings to give hespedim on Rib And I didn't attend any of them. I'll tell you the truth. I didn't attend any of them. Now, bear in mind, I had the schus to go to Shiorim for Rib Shapiro for over 10 years. There are those 
who call me a Talmud. I don't, and neither did Reb Moshe. <laughs> I want to go on record with that, you know. There was one time when um, uh, something came up, you know, and I had, was trying to explain uh, something that Reb Moshe had said, and I, I got into a lot of trouble with people who were not happy with Reb Moshe, and they were taking it out on me, you know. And I said to Reb Moshe, I said, I told them, you're angry at the king and you want to kill the jester, you know what I mean? I said, do you really think if Ramesha Shapiro wanted to get a message out to the world, he would choose that guy sitting in the fourth row taking notes who doesn't really follow so much what's going on? And Ramesha, I was hoping, would say, Rib David, don't be ridiculous. You know, you're one of my closest Talmudim. What he actually said was, in, in English, it's really pretty funny. <laughs> now, that was definitely not what I was hoping for, but it certainly there was a confirmation there in what I already believed. So when people were giving speeches, you have to understand that I went to Hashkafa Shirim by Reb Moshe Shapiro. Not only that, but there was never a time in my life that I had a major life decision or crisis that I had to deal with that Reb Moshe did not make time to see me and to speak to me, or to speak to my children, discuss whatever the issues were. Now, I know for a fact that there were thousands of people who considered him their Rebbe, like Rebbe Muvak, would come to him with questions, with things, and there was never a time when I told him, I have to speak to you, and I didn't use it lightly. I have to speak to you that within 24 hours, he didn't make time for me. <sighs> Having said that, and I went to the Hashkafa Shurim, you know, his Machshava Shurim, um, there were people who only went to a shurim and Taras. He I was a tremendous time. He, after his, his daughter passed away, he used to give shurim and Taras. People used to go just, just to his Taras shurim. So when they had all these different hespedim, I didn't go. I didn't go because I had a personal relationship with Ramesha. There were people, like I said, who uh, would only go to him for special things. Chanuch Tela told me that he used to speak to Ramesha only about chinuch matters. You know, you know, Rabbi Teller, it's not like me, he has a very chosh of a beard because he's a very chosh of a person, you know. And uh, he decided once he'd go to Ramesha's Thursday night show on the parasha, you know, which was Machshav. And Rabbi Teller is very tall, and Ramesha was not. And he sees Chanuch Teller there, and he grabs him by his beard and pulls him down and says, what are you doing here? <laughs> and one of those says, I'm very sorry, it won't happen again. <laughs> he says, I spoke to him as Chenech. Yeah. He was very involved in the Balchuva movement. Um, there were Balichuva who were very close to him. Yeah, and he was involved in a lot of these organizations and things. He used to go off to Europe, uh, to, to, to Russia, for Pesach, to go to work with people. But I had my own relationship with him. And I didn't want my experience filtered through the lens of other people. And people had a personal experience. If I, if I was going to hear about a gadol that I didn't have shaykhs do, you know, you listen, you hear different people's perspective. But I had my own perspective. You know, I, he was a part of my life. And that's how I remembered him. And that's how I... So somebody once asked me to speak uh, about Ramesha and... and and I said, I can only share my own personal 
remembrances. I didn't do any research. I didn't look up him, where he came from. I, I can tell you about my experience with Ramesha over a decade. Yeah. But, um, but it was very personal. It was very personal. <clears throat> the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County changed the face of the world. And I'm not saying that lightly. I, uh, I grew up in Long Island during a time when there was nothing there. Rabbi Meyer Fendel, who was a man of incredible vision, and maybe we'll talk about him another time, but he came out and he started uh, Hebrew Academy of Nassau County, and he brought in Rabbi Geidesman early on. By the time I came, by the time I was a student, when I started in 1964, Rabbi Geidesman was already there. And um, eventually, Rabbi Fendel made Aliyah, he moved to Eretzel, and Rabbi Geidesman took over Hank and continued, continued the vision. There was a study in contrasts. Um, Rabbi Fendel was a person who was cool at Torah. He was cool at Torah. So he, he learned, he spoke in Torah, that was it. Rabbi Geidesman was a person who knew how to help you enjoy not just Yiddishkeit, but life itself. He was a person who was filled with life. Now, I, I, I have to give you my own perspective. Give you my own perspective. Because <clears throat> there, are, um, there are people who, like I say, will know Rabbi Gadesman as being the Dean of Hank. They'll speak about his education. They'll speak about his impact, etc. But Rabbi Gadesman became friends of our family. When I say friends of our family, I mean that when my father passed away over 20 years ago, Rabbi spoke at his Leviah and said, this was my Yedid, Yad Biyad. I lost my friend today. And he meant it in absolute terms. When my father had his heart attack, um, you know, he, he never fully recovered. And Rabbi comes into the hospital room and he says, you know, um, he says, I had a heart attack. I recovered. Watch. And he hits the ground and he starts doing push-ups. Yeah. And he says, he says to my father, you'll do this too. <laughs> he never did. But, but that was the way he was. And in fact, I remember when my father had his heart attack, 80% of his heart muscle was destroyed. He was in really bad shape. And the doctors told my family, listen, he needs an emergency triple bypass, but he has to stabilize first, and he's not going to. You know, he's not going to make it. So if they do the operation, he'll die on the table, so say you goodbyes. And my family was a wreck. And Rabbi Geisman came in, and he says, who's that doctor? He's not God. He doesn't decide these things. Akash Baruch decides these things. He's going to have the operation, and he's going to survive. I flew in from Eretzel. And I got there after the operation was over. The cardiologist was standing outside of my father's hospital room, shaking his head. And I, I walked, I came in early in the morning. I, I landed, I rented a car and came straight to the hospital. I said, what's the story? He says, it's a miracle. We were sure he was going to die on the table. We couldn't find a surgeon to do the operation because the top surgeons are top surgeons because people don't die. And the reason they don't die is because they don't <coughs> operate on anyone who might die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you want to be very safe 
or as Mark Twain once said, a banker is somebody who lends you his umbrella and asks for it back when it starts to rain, you know? So top surgeons, they don't want to take a chance of operating on anybody who's, who's in, in dangerous situation. Rabbi Geisman said, I'll find somebody. And he helped the family find a doctor. And, and my father survived for a number, several, several number of years. But he was always there. He was there at every simcha. He was there at every, at every tragedy. He was always there. Uh, it'll be two years um, in Shvat. In another month, it'll be two years, two and a half, a month and a half since my mother passed away. And Mary Geisman was already now well. But somebody told him that my mother passed away and they said he started crying. My father passed away, and for the next 20 years, Rabbi Gadisman used to come every week and have lunch with my mother. And uh, she would make soup for him, and they would have soup, and they would talk, and that was my mother's, that was my mother's whole week. She waited for Rabbi Gadisman to come. She, he would tell her stories about what he was involved in and what was going on. And... Uh, my mother used to say, he goes, I, I think he's telling me the same stories, but I don't remember them. I said, Mom, that's why you were always a great audience. <laughs> he would come and he would sit with them and, and, and uh, Robertson got his men. And Mom, just was our family. It was, it, it was something more. It was something more than just an educator. He became a part of your life. And, and he wanted the kids to be happy. He wanted the kids to have fun. I never forget one time when they brought in one of those roller skating vans. I don't know if you remember these. I don't even know if they still have them. But in, when I went to sleepaway camp, so they would have a roller skating night. This big van would pull up with roller skates and everybody would get roller skates and you'd go into the gym and you'd skate around and that was your roller skating rink. He did this once in Hank. And he had his skates on and he was running around just, you know, with everybody else. I remember when we would have baseball games with other, with other schools. He was leading the chants. He was leading the cheers. <laughs> it was, there, was, there was something that was so special. And it, it brings home the point that it says the Gemara at the end of Tainus, it says that... Uh, Call tzaddik tzaddik. We'll make a circle with a kosh baruch in the middle. Yeah? And that's going to be Mashiach. Every left, the Rav Moshe Matasio likes to say, uh, the Gemara at the end of Tainus, and if we understand this, it'll be the end of Tainus. Yeah? The tzaddik can form a circle, which means the guy who's on this side is 180 degrees away from the guy who's over here. They're on opposite sides. But there's got to be somebody who's there to, you know, make sure that there's Seder and the people are learning and the people appreciate Torah and, you know, the, the, um, the vision. Yeah. Uh, George Bush Sr. passed away recently. And I remember when he was running, he always used to say, I have a problem with the vision thing. You know, he didn't have a vision. He, he was good at running things and making sure things took place and, you know, and handling things. I didn't have a vision. There were certain people who were visionaries. And uh, for sure, Mary Fendel was a visionary. Or a goddessman knew how to be able to take that vision and make it, you know, 
something that was that was fun and was enjoyable and was exciting for the people who were involved. Tzadikim, afechayim nikru. Excuse me, I feel a bit misasa nikru chayim. Tzadikim, even when they're dead, they're called alive because everything that they do continues on in this world. Rishayim, even when they're alive, they're called dead. Yeah, nebuch. But a but a person who is alive, these kind of people make contributions to the world, and they're able to. There's a there's a there's a powerful gemara, a powerful gemara that says, if you don't mourn the passing of a tzaddik, then small children die. Sounds. Sounds terrible. So it says Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, why does that happen? What's the, what's the cause and effect? Because when somebody dies, it's a tragedy. Elowat, Yehold is not a tragedy. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And uh, listen, it's in a better place, not suffering. You know, you see this very often with older people. When older people pass away, you know, they say, all right, listen, you know, he lived a long life, he was sick already, you know, it's, a, it's enough. When I used to do questions and answers, you know, so somebody would ask me, how do you explain the death of a small child? I said, inherent in that question is, you have no problem with the death of an older person. So you don't mind if people die, they just have to be at an age that you're comfortable with. How old? 60? It's okay if they go at 60. 80? Yeah, I imagine the 80-year-old might be, you know, less inclined to go, you know, even though you're okay with it. You could tap him on the shoulder and say, listen, philosophically, I'm okay if you die tomorrow. I just want you to know that. <laughs> you, won't, you won't cause any difficulties for me. <laughs> every, every death is a tragedy, right? It should be. If a death is not a tragedy, then you know what you're saying? Life is a tragedy. And Baruch Hashem... Oh, Hashem, he's moved on to a better place. He doesn't have to suffer anymore. You know, you get older, there's pains, things are difficult, things are hard, you know. And, uh, and people wake up in the morning, you know, so they pass away. They say, all right, listen, he was in pain, he was suffering, just as well, just as well. When, uh, when a tzaddik dies, whose life was... A work of art, as it says, um, tzaddikim are not affected by the ash of Gehenim because they're ash in this world. What does that mean? They're ash in this world. That means there could be air, and if it's blowing, it's wind. There could be water, and if it's moving, it's a wave. There's fire, and if fire isn't burning, it's called wood. It just exists in potential. Tzadikim didn't exist in potential. They existed bepoyal. They were kinetic energy. They were moving in this world. They were accomplishing. So if you treat the death of a special person the same way you do as an ordinary person, then you're saying, I don't care how you live your life. Life's a curse. So a small child who dies, he was protected. He was saved from having to go through these many years of suffering. Yeah? And... uh, 
that's that's the tragedy. When when a life goes by that was exceptional, you know, and one of the things they used to say about Rabbi Geisman, you know, is that uh, he looked for every kid. There was no there was no such a thing as we can't deal with this kid. I have to tell you, this was an exception. There are very few educators today who are like this, who say every Jewish kid deserves a Jewish education, regardless of if they have learning disabilities, if, they're, if they misbehave, if there's a problem, you know. When I was in, in Hank, there was this kid who was, who was a real troublemaker. Everybody knew he was a troublemaker. Every guy's been told this story over to my parents. That's how I know the story. So one time, Eric Geisman was using the bathroom facilities, and this kid was in the bath, bathroom trying to sell a screwdriver to another kid. So the kid says, well, how do I know it's a good screwdriver? He says, here, I'll take the door off of the stall. And he starts unscrewing the stall. So the other kid says, there might be somebody in there. So he sticks his head under the door, and he says, oh, hi, Rabbi Geisman. <laughs> Now, you know, in some schools, that kid might not have continued. <laughs> but the Rabbi Geisman, it was a funny story, you know what I mean? I'm going to throw a kid out. And he would, he used to say, you'd have fights with the board. I would have fights because I want to keep every kid. And there were kids who he held on to, who went on to live really special lives. Because somebody was able to look at them and be able to see beyond so when somebody like Rabbi Geisman passes away, to my mind, yeah, it requires us to stop and think. Um, I was, you know, kid from a from a Long Island, you know, um, apathetic background, you know, and uh, he was also the tour director in Stechemed, and he convinced my parents to take me to Stechemed. Wow. What a culture shock, you know what I mean? You know, I was with these kids who were like really intensely from. My counselor was a sat mechosit, you know. Used to wake us up in the morning. Raus, Yudin, Raus, Raus, you know. I thought I was in a, one of those war movies. Raus, <laughs> Yudin, grab your things for, uh, for uh, lineup, you know. And uh, I, I got exposed to so many different things, things that I never would have seen and experienced. It was... Uh, it was something that was so special, yeah. Rabbi Shaya Cohen, he was the learning director, you know. It was it, it was something I really got to see. I went for two years. I can tell you the fact that I've been living now in Israel for thirty years. I just celebrated the end of August, thirty years that I'm here, has something to do with the fact that Rabbi Geisman brought me to Israel for two summers, gave me a chance to be able to appreciate Israel on a whole different level, yeah in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. So we have to look at a life, at a, at a life that was meaningful, and a life that changed, a life that did things in this world, and it has to inspire us. Not to be ordinary. Not to be like everybody else, or... Somebody said to me, went to one of these things where they made speeches or Moshe Shapiro. And he, he told me, he says, it was shigrati. It's a Hebrew word that's like, it was ordinary. It was, 
It was, you know, it was fill in the gadol. You could say this about anybody. And Rav Moshe Shapiro was not like anybody else. And Rav Moshe Gaddisman was not like anybody else. Yeah? When you, when you say the last words on a Yaakov Avinu, on a David Melech, obviously there was one David Melech, there was one Yaakov Avinu. But every single person, famous Rabzusha, I'm not worried what am I going to do when a Kaddish Baruch Hu asks me why I wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. I'll say because I wasn't on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. I didn't have the kaychas of Moshe Rabbeinu. But what am I going to do when he asks me why wasn't I Zusha? You don't have to be the best. You have to be the best you. What is your obligation in this world, says the Mishra Sharm? Every person has to look at the reality that they're in and figure out how to make that their best world. So, those are some thoughts as we reach the end of Sefer Voracious. And uh, if you want to find out more about uh, the Rabbi Olavsky show, you can go to rabbiolavsky.com slash podcast. If you want to make a comment specifically on today's episode, you can go to rabbiolavsky.com slash podcast slash 11. If you want to know about any upcoming events that are scheduled, go to rabbiolavsky.com slash events. And if you would like to contact Rabbi Olavsky, who is not beyond speaking of himself in the third person, he can be reached by rabbiolavsky.com slash contact. Have a beautiful Shabbos. Have a great week. And we'll see you next time.